be seated in heavenly places. Luke 8, verse 22, please. Luke 8, 22. And I read. For the second time. Now it came to pass on a certain day that he went into a ship with his disciples. And he said unto them, let us go unto the other side of the lake. And they launched forth. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And there came down a storm of wind on the lake. And they were filled. The King James says, with water. And were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we perish. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said unto them, Where is your faith? And they being afraid, wondered, saying, one to another. What manner of man is this? He commanded even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Someone say, It was meant to make me a champion through Christ Jesus. Someone say with me, it is, not was, it is meant to make me a champion through faith in Christ Jesus. Tell someone sitting next to you, it is meant to make me a champion through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you so much. The entrance of your word Give it light. It's a lamp unto our feet. And a light, a light that shines so bright in the darkness. Shining on the way as we go. A light that shines from within. Thank you for your word. Amen. Amen. Praise God. In this world, I believe there are two roads. Two roads. The road for champions and the road for non-achievers. The road for non-achievers and weaklings are carefully planned to make sure there are no challenges. It is usually long. So the non-achievers and the weaklings, like, I mean, they love to walk on this road. And as long as it takes, they love to just walk on it. Because there's no challenge. 
No challenge to terrify or to frighten them. But the road for champions are filled with challenges and difficulties. Because what makes them champions is the fact that they overcome the challenges they face. They overcome the challenges and the storms that confront them in life. So that is the road of champions. I've come to tell you today that Jesus came to raise champions. And I want to believe that you are one of them. So where he leads, you will find storms and challenges. So wherever Jesus leads you, you will notice that there are storms and challenges. Praise God. So what are we saying? The roads in God's kingdom are designed with challenges to make us champions through faith in Christ. Hello. The roads in God's kingdom are designed with challenges to make us champions through faith in Christ Jesus. It is not true that when you begin the journey in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom with God, in, when you begin this journey with Christ, everything is like, you know, milk and butter. No, it's a road filled with challenges and storms. And they are deliberate. They are deliberate to make us champions, to turn us into champions. When we look at Luke chapter 8 and the verse 22, Luke says this. Luke says, it came to pass on a certain day. It came to pass on a certain day that he went into a ship with his disciples and he said unto them, let us go over onto the other side. And they launched forth. Let's go over onto the other side. And they launched forth. The first thing as we look at this subject is that in the kingdom of God, it is Jesus who decides the direction of our, of our services. He decides. He decides which direction the ship should go. He decides. But before we do that, hallelujah. Mark tells us 
in Mark 4, the 35th verse. Mark tells us, he says, In the evening, that is on the same, in the, in the, in the evening of the same day, the day that, he says, And the same day, when the evening was come, he said unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. So we see that Mark is saying, Hey, it was, in this, it was on, the, on the same day, the day that he was teaching and his biological family came over to take him away. And he told them, my mother and my brethren are those who hear the word of God on that same day. But Luke says on a certain day, because Luke's focus is on the fact that something spectacular happened and he wants to focus, and he wants to focus his, his, his attention on that. But Mark fills us in that actually it was the same day. Which is quite useful information as we go along. Very useful. But the point we, we want to address here is this. That it says it came to pass. Hallelujah. It came to pass. It came to pass. We see this expression in scripture a lot. It came to pass. It came to pass signifying that the situation did not come to stay. Praise God. It did not come to Stay. It came to pass. That is not to, to, to say that Jesus was standing still. He kept on with the ministry, with the assignment, with the purpose for why he had come. He kept on with it. But the events that came to him or to them did not remain. Whatever comes, goes. It moves on. Events occurred in his life, but those events did not stay. And he did not make those events stay either. Praise Jesus. So things will come, things will happen, or things happen to them, as will happen to us too. But when those things happen, Let's not get stuck with them. Because the tendency for humans is that something happens and then we get stuck with that thing. It came to pass. I am not sure what has come to your door. But you want to keep this phrase in your mind. That it has come to pass. It has not come to stay. Praise the Lord. You see, when things come in our way, we need to be watchful that those things don't come to stay in such a way that they change us. 
Because things, things, things that come to pass or things that come to us in our life or knocks on, on the doors of our lives have the tendency to, to, to change us. And what I mean by change us is it changes your values and your principles. But we want to be watchful that those things that are coming, hey, they are coming to pass. So don't let us allow them to change our values and our principles. For these things are come to pass. I like that phrase. I see that a lot. You see, watch out in your Bible. You will see it a lot. And it came to pass. And it came to pass. It's amazing how God allowed that phrase to be used over and over and over. You see, and the reason why we need to guard, be, be on the guard, is that, you see, when certain things come into our lives, if you're not watchful of our values, principles, and the faith that we have in Christ, they have the tendency of leaving us, although they are coming to pass, they have the tendency of leaving us frustrated, bitter, angry, They have the tendency of doing damage before they go. It can leave you withdrawn. It can take away your joy so that your enthusiasm, all your joy in Christ, it just flies away through the window. But we have to watch against that. It doesn't take away the joy, it doesn't take away our enthusiasm. You know, you are very enthusiastic. Like Ruth. Sorry, Naomi. Naomi. Naomi was a pleasant woman. But after she, she had seen so much trouble when she came back to Israel and said, Naomi is back. He said, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, which means bitterness. No, refuse to be called bitterness. For Naomi did not realize that God was not finished with her. Her latter end was going to be greater than the beginning. She thought he had lost sons, but she didn't realize that she was going to have a, a daughter who was going to be the great, 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 great grandmother of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. So what are we saying? It is this. And it came to pass. It came to pass that he said, Do you know what? Let us go to the other side. He gave them the instruction. The disciples knew he was tired because of the thing, because of the schedule they've run, but they never suggested where they should go. It was him who took, Matthew said, he took the lead, went into the ship. You see, he went into the ship. And when he went into the, into the, into the ship, they followed him. So he went in first and they followed. Praise God. 
They followed him. And when they followed him, he said to them, let's go to the other side. So he decides the direction of our services. He decides which way we should go. He decides. Praise the Lord. Why did he tell them to go that way? Did the disciples know? They didn't know. Well, possibly they knew. Possibly they didn't know. But the fact is that where he said they should go, that is where they followed. Praise God. Were they aware that they were going to face storms on that lake? Not aware. Not aware. But he said, hey, let's go. And they followed. You see, what we need to understand is this. The disciples who were with Jesus, were, most of them were, were previously fishermen. And as fishermen, the, the, the area of their focus was in Capernaum, not on the Sea of Galilee. They didn't really know much. They probably have known that there, was, there were troubles usually on that sea. But the point was this. Jesus says, let's go this way. So once he said, let's go this, this way, that is the way they should go. We can guess or we can, you know, make some assumptions about why he said they should go. Possibly to rest. Why do I say that? Because where he asked them to go, it was a very quiet place. They were to go to the other side. That was lake, the lake of Galilee. The other side was very, very quiet. And from what Mark says, it was that same evening. So by the time they get there, there will be no one really around the shore. And it takes about a mile to get into the, into the town. So it would be a very quiet place for Jesus to rest. So Jesus knew that rest was important. And his biological family had come to take him for rest. But their, their mind or their mindset by which they came was not right. So he corrected them. But he knew he needed rest. And Jesus believes in resting. So, I, so in ministry, as you, as you do the Lord's work, as you follow on in the, in the path that God has called you, don't think that working tire, tirelessly, working till you fall down dead, is God's plan for your life. There is a need for rest when you are tired. We see in... We see in... In Mark 6, verse 30, 30 to 34, when the disciples had been on a mission trip, he sent them out to, to, to go and preach. When they came back, after they've rehearsed all that happened, he told them, come aside 
to a, a quiet place so you can rest. So Jesus knows that when we do ministry, it is proper that we take rest. Hallelujah. And I pray God that all of us here in this room, excluding none of us, will take lessons from what Christ is saying here. Amen. Including the pastor. To take rest. Because rest is important. Amen. Amen. The next thing I want to point out to us in this, as we look at this passage, is the fact that as he directs us, contrary to popular ideas, there will be storms on the way. Hello. The way that Christ directs you, no, oh, Christ is a very gentle Savior, loving Savior. So you, are, you would have thought that when Christ is directing you, then your path should be free of storms, troubles, and challenges. But the good news is, you may face storms. Sorry, I think I'm not communicating this very carefully. Let me step down. What we are saying this morning is this. Jesus is the one who decides where we serve. He's the one who decides which assignment we take and which direction the assignment should go. But the direction he tells you to go, you may face storms. May. I use the word may just to make it a bit mild. But the thing is that you will face storms. Praise God. You will. Face storms. Verse 23. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. I'm sure we can all identify with this. You know, you are traveling with the kids. They've played all day. The moment they get into the car, they sleep. Or maybe you've gone to a place with your spouse. Maybe the husband is driving and the wife You've all been busy. The moment you sit in the car, she sleeps and leaves you alone. And then when you get to your station, have we arrived? <laughs> and I, my question would be, not that it happens to me though, but I'm saying that I, I, I will ask, <laughs> you and who have, 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 have arrived? <laughs> not that it happens in my, in, my, in, my, in my case. I'm not saying that. <laughs> Praise God. So, it said that, but as they sailed, he fell asleep, and there came a storm. Hello? He slept. The way he said, he, he said we should go this way. And as we are going, he sleeps. And guess what? When he sleeps, a storm comes. Jesus, what are you like? You tell us to go on a journey. As we're going on that journey, you, you sleep. And when you sleep, a storm comes. Interesting, Jesus. Before I look at this storm issue, let me just look at this very quickly because it's very important. There are some people who have the idea that if you are really in the spirit, 
You never get tired. Some people are of that idea. If I really get into the spirit, you, you, you never get tired. For your information, Jesus got tired. And if there was anyone who was full of the spirit, it was Jesus. In John 3, 30, in John 3 verse 30 and 34, John says some, something. John said, I must, sorry, he must increase, but I must decrease. Why? Because he has the spirit without measure. He was full. He had a spirit without measure. John 3, 30 and 34. See, he had a spirit without measure. Yet, at, at, at one time, you know, at the well of, at the, at the well of Jacob, the Bible said that he was so tired, he was so weary. The word used there was, he was weary, so he sat down. So Jesus got tired. He got hungry. He got sleepy. All the things that human beings do, he, Jesus went through it. Hello? So you see, when, when you're full of the Spirit, let's not have unrealistic imaginations about being filled with the Spirit. When you're, spirit, when you're full of the Spirit, you should get tired, you should get hungry. No, I'm full of the Spirit. I can't be tempted. Hey, Bible says after 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. He was very, very spiritual. I must, be, I mean, I want to, to believe that. He was very spiritual, but yet he was tempted. Only he didn't give in. Hello. Temptation doesn't care whether you are spirit-filled or not. And if you are tired, you are tired. Rest. Hallelujah. Praise God. You see, Jesus falling asleep means that he was in the human body. Okay? Because the human body is designed to go through these things. And the fall also helps us. We get tired, we get hungry, we get sleepy, we have all kinds of needs. So the fact that you are spiritual doesn't mean that these needs will not Praise Jesus. But having said that Jesus slept. Actually, it's not me saying it. The Bible said so. Having said that Christ slept does not mean that God sleeps. Because Psalm 124, sorry, Psalm 121, the, the fourth verse says that Behold, he that keepeth Israel does not sleep nor slumber. God does not take a nap. But Jesus was in the body. He was in a human body. And being in a human body, he's subject to be tired and then have to sleep. But you see, in John 4, we understand that God is spirit and a spirit God does not take a nap, he does not sleep nor slumber. Is someone hearing me? So, God's care of, over you or God's watchful eyes over you does not close. 
Hallelujah. When God says, I'm going to take care of you, you can be sure. If, if I say I'll take care of you, be wary. Be really wary because I'll sleep. But when God says, I will take care of you, you can be certain because he neither sleeps nor slumber because he is God. Hallelujah. Praise God. You see, let me say this. So, Jesus sleeping, what is the point of telling us all that? The point is this. His falling asleep does not mean he abandoned the disciples. His falling asleep makes us to understand that as Jesus, <laughs> Hebrews 4.15 says that we have a high priest. We have a high priest. You know, who identified with our infirmities. That means he identified with the thing that makes us human. So that he can help us. So him being, him, Jesus, Jesus sleeping when he was tired on the boat means that he understands when you are tired. He understands when you are, when you are exhausted. He understands when you go down the path. He understands. And Hebrews 4.15 says that he is able for we, have, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. But was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. See, is it so? So he, although he, he was tempted like we are, my, oh my goodness, my goodness, my goodness. He was tempted in every single way that you feel temptations. None, no one. No one's temptation is excluded. Every temptation you've ever faced, he's gone through the same. Every weakness you've ever faced, he went through the same because he lived a human life. So he can feel what we feel. Why do you think he's at the right hand side of the father? So that when something, the enemy accuses you, he says, Father, I've been there. I understand. I know what it means. My blood has covered that one too. Let it pass. Hallelujah. Praise God. He says, so yet without sin. Yet without sin. Praise God. So we see, when we get tired, we can learn some clues from, from Christ. And when we get tired, he's ready to help us. But then we can learn the first thing when we are tired is to take a break, is to take a rest. But in our rest, let's rest the right way. Some people rest the wrong way. I'll show you this. They are resting. I am tired. I'm taking a break. I'm resting. But in their resting, they're adding more injury. They're adding salt to injury. Why do I say that? Some people think that by resting, lying in the sofa... And watching television from 6 a.m. to 12 midnight, they think that is rest. Have you not realized 
that after that kind of, you know, engagement with your eyes, you realize that you are more exhausted than anything else? Because that is not rest. Hello? And rest for the soul. You see, rest for the soul that doesn't also mean sleep the whole day. Oh, come on. Hallelujah. Amen. The question is this. Why are you resting? You are resting so that you can get up. Spring back up, isn't it? So you can recuperate. So you can come back refreshed. And Isaiah has a word for us. Isaiah 40. Hallelujah. Isaiah 40. He says, that, hey, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall man up with wings as eagles. They shall run. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So as you are resting, use the resting time to wait upon the Lord. That your strength can be truly renewed. That means spend time engaging with, with, with the Lord in meditation, in prayer, in reading his word. That is how to rest properly before God. Rest does not mean... You abandon one thing and then take your shopping basket and go through town and go through all the shops. Say, well, I am resting by shopping. No, it, it means spend time with the Lord. Hallelujah. For they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and they will not faint. Praise be to God. So let's take our example. As I say this on this note, I want to encourage what we call solitude. Solitude. I want to encourage solitude. Cre don't create, deliberately create a solitude time for yourself. Deliberately create it. If you are single, Oh, hallelujah. You are blessed. You can take it anytime you want it. Go and be somewhere. Three days or four days or a week or something. Just, you know, waiting upon the Lord. Sometimes people think that, you know, the Christian life is, oh, it's just religion. Yes, it is just religion because you've been going through a cycle. But if you actually will take time and begin to engage God in prayer, in meditation, in the word, and just you and him alone, no shopping list, just engaging, just, just, just loving on him, just loving Lord Allah, just being there. Sometimes him just speaking to you. You know, sometimes we think prayer is all about talking, 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 talking. Sometimes prayer is just about going there in that place. And being quiet, be still, be still and know that I am the Lord. Just be still there, just be still. And in the quietness of your spirit, listen to him speaking to you. And you wake up on that ground and you know you've been strengthening on the inside. Because it, it, you see, our power is not in our physicality. Our power is as much as good food is good. Did I say it right? Good food is good, right? As much, as much as good food is good, 
strengthen the body, build, give you a better immune system to withstand any virus called corona or called whatever it's called. Immune system. It will build your immune sy- system. Hello. What keeps you strong, abiding, evergreen, ever pressing on is a strength that God gives on the inside in your inner man. That's what we need. Hallelujah. It is the inner strength. Praise God. Because there are many people who in my language are the living dead. I call them living dead in the sense that they are strong, they are tall, they are huge, they are walking about, but inside there's no strength. Inside they are broken, they are torn apart, they are discovered, they are frustrated, they are dead. Nothing on the inside. All the, they are just walking about. They are just walking about. But nothing on the inside. God have mercy. God have mercy. Hallelujah. So was, he was traveling to this place, of, this place of solitude and he was asleep in the boat. And the Bible says that there's a storm hit the lake. It's amazing how he could sleep in a storm. That tells you how tired he was. That's Jesus. Very, very tired. Verse 23. And there came down a storm on the lake, and they were what? Filled. And they were filled. And they were filled. Huh, interesting. And they were filled. Let's talk about that a little bit. And they were filled. A storm came. Lake, the storm that came was not extraordinary. A geography of the area reveals that once the seas or the waters in Capernaum were quite calm, and the disciples used to, you know, that was what they did all their fishing, all their fishing work. The lake of Galilee was known for sudden and threatening storms. And especially they were traveling in the night, in the evening. It was late. You were traveling. On the lake of Galilee, you wouldn't know when a storm would hit you. It gets out, of a, out of the blue, a storm would just hit. And when it hits... It blows the ship here and there, here and there. And as it did, it was pressing water into it. The King James is the word, and they were filled. But the word, the word translated filled, the King James does well in, doing, in using the word filled. And he, and he asked the phrase filled with water. But actually, the word actually there was found, founded. Sorry, not founded. Founded. They were founded. It's a word that is often used for the collapse of companies, businesses, 
institutions, things like marriage, we can say they had the, the company was founded or the marriage became founded. To be founded means that you stumble and fall. You become so weak or you stumble and then you, be, and then you, be, and then you become lame. So, so you're not able to walk steadily as you've been walking. But this is the word that is used or the writer uses for what happens to the disciples here in this boat. The word is not normally used about people. It's normally used about horses as well. That a horse may founder. That is, the horse will stumble and then begin to lame. Sorry, and begin to walk as a lame horse. But here he said that they were founded. Indicating this. That when he says, and they were filled with water. What Luke is describing for us is that these people were not just hit with a storm. But because the storm was causing the waves to rise. And the water was coming to, into the boat. They spent most of their time trying to take the water out of the boat. Sorry, out of the ship. It, was not a, it wasn't a canoe. It was a big thing. That's what they call ship. So the, the water was pouring in. So as it was pouring in, they were digging out, throwing out. You remember the book of Jonah? When the, they were having trouble on the sea. And they, had to, they threw most of the things away just to make that thing light. Now, what was the storm trying to do? The storm was trying to sink the ship. And when the, and, and when the ship sinks, what happens to the people? They sink with it. That was the whole purpose. So the storm has not come. Hello. The storm has not come to play with them. The storm has come to sink the ship and to sink them too. The storm that comes our way, they don't come just to, you know, put us on the shoulder. They come to destroy. It's like the wicked one. It's like the devil. Bible says he comes to what? Still kill and destroy. He steals, he kills, and he destroys. That's his whole purpose. To steal you, to kill you, and to destroy you. So that whatever purpose God has for your life, never materializes. That is, his, that is his plan. But he's a liar. Hallelujah. God says, I will be with you and I will help you. And I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will lift you up with my right hand of righteousness. Praise God. So, they became extremely tired. They were worn out. They've been doing it. And all this while, the master, Jesus, was still asleep. So eventually, when they were so worn out, like, the, the picture is this. They've done it so much that now they're... So, guys, let's wake the master up. Maybe he might even give us a hand. So, so master, so he says that what? Verse 24. And they came... And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we perish. So they woke him up. 
And when they woke him up, oh, hallelujah. What did he do? He said, peace be still. Praise God. Let me say something before I go ahead of this. You see, the disciples were smart. They realized they were in danger. They were pouring, the, they were taking the water out of the ship, but the more they do, it kept filling. The storm won't stop. That rhymes. The storm won't stop. So they kept pouring the, taking the water out of them. I'm not sure where you are in your life. Maybe a storm has hit. And all you are doing is like the disciples. You are taking the water out of the ship. What am I saying? You are trying as much as you can in your own strength and power. You tried all the tricks. You've gone for human help. You sought the help of bank manager, sister soul, madam soul. You've tried all that you can. Everything you've tried. And the ship is still sinking. Things are not getting any better. Hello? Because, you see, the storms that come your way and my way, those storms, are not material. The challenges, the things that come against us. Ephesians 6, 12 tell, tells us that the things that fight us, they are not material. They are spiritual. Hello? They are what? They are spiritual. The things that we struggle against, they are spiritual. He says, we wrestle, Ephesians 6 verse 12, says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. They are spiritual wickedness. They are evil spirits. They are spirits behind all these things that war against you and me. And so, he says, hey, put on the whole armor of God. Indicating that the weapons of our warfare, they are not carnal. If we are going to fight back, we have to do what 2 Corinthians 4 teaches. Fight with spiritual weapons. And how do we do that? We call upon God. Hallelujah. The disciples called upon God. They came to wake him up. You are fighting something. You are not winning. You've tried all that you can. You've gone everywhere. All that means you can. Hey, try what they did. Call upon the master. Amen. Call upon the master. Don't fight alone. It's not worth it. It won't work. Why? Because you are dealing with things that are not material.
And they said, Master, Master, we perish. Oh my goodness. Master, we perish. In Mark 4.40, when they came to Jesus and, and said that, Christ, Jesus, interpreted their actions very, very clearly. Mark 4.40, he said, why are you so fearful? Hello? Did they say they were fearful? No. But he told them, why are you so fearful? Why were they fearful? They said it. We perish. Master, master, we perish. What, are the, what does the word perish means? It means to lose or to die. So what they were saying is, Jesus, we are dying. Help us. There was a fear. What was the fear? It was a fear of death. Fear of death. On the journey that Christ has sent us, in the direction that he assigns us to go, you will face storms. And those storms, they will come to threaten you of, with death. And guess what? It's the fear of death that leads many to compromise their trust in God. Fear of death. Fear of death. Fear of death is the one master that all human beings, the entire globe, are scared of death. Death. And the devil knows that. So he uses it against humans. Death. Hebrews, please. Hebrews chapter 4, please. Sorry, Hebrews 2, verse 14, please. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. There's some good news for you. Hallelujah. Amen. Hebrews 2, verse... He says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also likewise took part of the same, that through death he might do what? Destroy. Oh, come on. Through death he might do what? Destroy, Destroy who? Him. Him. That had what? That he might destroy him that had the power of, and which is who? The devil. Verse 15. And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to what? Bondage. The word bondage means slavery. So because of the fear of death, Humans submit themselves to slavery. Even when they know this is slavery. For the fear of dying, humans often bow their knee to slavery. Willingly. God have mercy. But for the Christian, you got not to bow down to fear of death. The Christian should not bow his knee to slavery. Any form, psychological, physical, any form of slavery, the Christian should not bow down to it. Why? Because you have a hope. You have a hope. You have a hope. Hallelujah. 
Titus 1, verse 1 to 2, tells us that we have hope of eternal life. Praise God. Eternal life means that, <laughs> eternal life means what it means. Eternal, it is forever. Hallelujah. So if you are afraid of death today, I've come to tell you there's no need to be afraid of death. Because once you are in Christ Jesus, you are blessed with eternal life. Meaning that even if you die right now, you will live again. Hallelujah. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. And he that believeth in me, although he die, yet he will live again. So the fear of death is broken. The fear of death is gone. Hallelujah. Because what? For the Christian, if you die today, you will live again. That is why if your sweetheart dies today and is a Christian, you better be a Christian too because you will meet him again or, or, or her again. Although you will not meet her sweethearts. Because after this death, there's no marriage. So if you want to marry, marry, marry now. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. But the thing is, is, you will see those loved ones again. So what are we saying here? That there's eternal life. Eternal life means that you have got something that even death, which every human being is afraid of, cannot threaten you. Amen. We will kill you. You will kill me. So what is, what is that supposed to mean? That's, that's, that is supposed to make you afraid. Afraid? No. You're only sending me where I've always wanted to go. Thank you. Get on. Quickly. Get on. So what are you doing? Is there a sword, a gun? Whatever are you doing? Do it quick. Hello? So what are you doing? You're only sending me to where I've always wanted to be. In the arms of my Savior. And guess what? I will live forever and ever. This earth is not the end. It's going to finish. But then, life for me as a Christian continues. What about you? That's the question. You want to kill me? So Christ said, don't fear those who kill the body and cannot kill the soul. Because they can kill you, they can affect your body, but not your soul. Because your soul is in the hands of God Almighty. Hallelujah. Praise God. You are eternally secure. You are eternally secured. Your soul is hid with God. Amen. I am the resurrection and the life. No one comes to the Father. So let not the storms threaten you with death. Then he goes on, verse 24, and he says that, and he awoke. They awoke him saying, Master, Master, we perished. Then he rose and did what? When he rose up, what did, what did he do? He rebuked the water, sorry, the wind. And the raging of the water in the seas, and there was a calm. He rebuked. He rebuked it. What did he rebuke with? When you rebuke, you always use words. He said, What? Peace. 
be still. Oh my goodness. He said, peace be still. You see, when he said, peace be still, you can see the disappointment in his, in his tone. Peace be still. Hey, peace be still. That means he was disappointed at the a, at a wind and the sea. Peace be still. Why this all this, why all this commotion? Now, can you believe that? Peace be, why this commotion? Peace be still. Thank you. <laughs> Calm down. Why? Why all this agit, agit, agitation? Be still. He told the wind and he told the water to calm down, to be quiet. Shush. Keep quiet. Why are you threatening my disciples with death? There is a rush and the life. I am in the boat. You see, I may be asleep, but you know me. That even when I am not there, my word can go ahead of me and perform for me. And I have told my disciples, we are going to the other side. So once I have said so, that is what it is. We are going to the other side. And there is nothing you can do about it. Sorry, can I tell you something? Can I tell you something? When God speaks, there's no demon in hell that can mess or fuss with it. They can, sorry, they can fuss, they can do whatever, but there's nothing they can do about it. Can I say that again? When God gives his word, there is no element of nature, demon in hell, that can stand against it. Once he has spoken, it is spoken. Hush! Calm down. Keep quiet. What's your problem? Calm down. Peace! Be still. I do not know where you are stationed in life right now. But I, I beg of you to hear the master speaking to you. Saying peace. Something is troubling your mind. Every week it's on your mind is troubling you. And you are wondering, am I going to live? Am I going to die? Is it going to be well with me? Please, hear the master speaking to your soul. Peace. Be still. Hear the master speaking to your soul. Hear the master speaking to your heart. Peace. He said, this sickness, this disease, this ailment, this whatever. The master, hear the master, please. Peace. Be still. He calmed the sea. He calmed the sea. For the sake of time, let me give it to you. Jesus. This something that only God does. The 
There was only once, once in the story of the Bible that a man commanded nature and nature obeyed. And Bible says God allowed it. And since then, God has not allowed it any, has not happened again. The day that Joshua said, let the sun stand still. And the sun stood still. Bible says it's, it's happened only once. God allowed that only once. He says, actually, what language? Bible says, God allowed it. God allowed it. And it happened only once. That means only God controls nature. Only God controls the elements of nature. Hello? Only God controls the elements of, of nature. But there's something I want to point out to you. So it's this. Before I do that, if Jesus does what only God does, in verse 25, the disciples were asking, what manner of man is this? I ask the same question. Who is Jesus? If he does what only God can do, speak to the elements of nature and they, and they, and they, and they obey. Then I ask you, who then is this Jesus? I submit to you, Jesus, whilst he was on earth, he was God in human form. He was God in human body. And Jesus is God. Go to clap, go ahead and clap. Jesus is God. He speaks to the elements and they obey his voice. He's shown us, he speaks to the dead, they raise up. He sends his word to sick people, he's not there and they obey. Lepers touch him, they are healed. He does these extraordinary things that no human being does except God. So if he does them, who is he? And guess what? I want to take you back quickly. I need to do this. Because if I don't do this, I've done you great injustice. Verse 25. Please bear with me. Verse, verse 25. Just bear with me. Verse 25. I need to do this. And he said unto them, Hello, where is your faith? <laughs> that all of us here, excluding none of us, can identify that this question is a question of geography. Right? Where? He's not saying what. He says where? Is your faith? It's a geography question. It's asking you the place of your faith. Where is it? Indicating that their faith must be in a, in a, in a certain place, but he can't find it there. So he's asking them, Where is your faith? In John 14, verse 1, he says, Believe he told the disciples believe in God believe also in me 
believe in God. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't allow your heart to be troubled. But believe in me and believe. So believe in God and believe also in me. So when he said, where's your faith? He was actually saying, your faith must be in me, but I can't find it. So where have you placed it? So the question is still staring our face today. Where is your faith? You want to ask your neighbor, because maybe you know where, where, where yours is, but your neighbor might not know. Ask your neighbor, where is your faith? Where is your faith? He's asking us. Where is your faith? It should be in Christ. It's supposed to be in Christ. Where is it? Some people, their faith is in McDonald's. Their faith is in chip, chicken and chips. Their faith is in Blackberry. Their faith is in some, some car, some PS4. Their faith is in some build, some nice building. Their faith is in that. Their faith is in, is in their is in the is in the stock market, is in their investments. But he's asking, where you who say you believe in me, where is your faith? You see, the next thing I want to point out before we go quickly, just bear with me, is this. He asked them, where is your faith? But they ask, the other question is, what is faith in the first place? What is faith? What is faith? In the Bible, there's one place that faith is defined for us. Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Come with me quickly. Praise God. He says what? Now, faith is what? Oh, let's, let's say it. Faith is what? Hopeful. Praise God. Faith. Because of time, let me do this very quick, quickly. The first thing we see in that, the, the third word we see in that text is very critical. Now, faith is. Faith is what? Faith what? Is. When you say the boy is, the woman is, the building is, the marriage is, the sound is, the food is, when you use that phrase, that, that, that verb is, what are you suggesting? You are suggesting something that is present. You are, you are talking about something that is present. What else? You are also saying that thing is, is not only present, but that thing is alive. It's alive and what? Active. 
faith is present is something we can talk about now he never said faith was faith is not was faith is never was and it's never the, the future faith is it's now present it's alive it's active it is something that is evident something that is present now we can see now the food is cold the boy is coming the woman is lying down or the woman is sick or the woman is healed it is right now we, we can get it so faith is the idea that actually it is something that is now the next word sorry the next two words substance faith is a substance I'll just end on these two things I'll not continue I'll just end, end, end here so just bear with me faith is a substance substance is made up of two words I'm not referring to sub and stance although I could have used that but it's made up of two words the two words are hupo and stasis hupo and status hupo means under under hupo is a, a preposition under and stasis means the word is stand or stood I want you I'm thinking I guess you want to say understanding or, or, or understood you could go there but I'm not going there but what the word substance means something you put under but it's not just under Hupo, under, stand, standing, fixed, permanent, concrete, unmovable. So the word substance there means something that goes under, that is, is underneath but fixed, stable, unmovable, something unmovable. So you can think of substance as support. The word that does it nicely is foundation. So faith is foundation. Faith is support. Something that goes under. So that whatever comes on top, it keeps it standing firm because substance is underneath it. Substance is holding whatever you're going to build on it standing firm. So Christ is saying, where is that present thing? That present thing that active thing, that lively thing that is holding. So basically, basically, when he says faith, faith is that. But when I say foundation, I do not necessarily mean it is hidden because faith is not hidden. So it is what goes before. So you are trusting God for something. You're believing God for something. Your faith is that unmovable thing that goes under. That is making noise. Hallelujah. That thing that goes before. 
you get whatever you get from God. That thing that goes before, that is present, that's alive, that is active. Something that's alive is active. It makes noise. Something that makes everyone turn around and see something. So faith is not something that is hidden. Faith is not a hidden thing. Faith is something that makes noise. Because it is alive. It is active. But it goes under. It comes before. So you are trusting God for a miracle. What is that unmovable thing that makes you certain that God is going to give you? Let me make it very easy. You've come to me, waking me up. But number one, you are panicking. Number two, your words betray you. You say, we perish. That is not a foundation for me to help you. Do you get a picture? The foundation for me to help you should be this. Jesus, speak to the wind. That, that utterance is faith. That utterance says that you believe I can do it. And it is firm. You're not moving. You believe you're going to get an A star in your, in your exams. So you sit down and you study hard. That is faith. It is faith. It is supporting what you are believing. You want something. The action. You are showing the action, that stable action. You are showing to say, I believe. So you believe in me, Jesus. You believe in me that I can save you. What is that action, that tangible action that all men can see that you are showing that I will do it? Coming, crying, fear, and begging is not faith. That ain't faith. And that was what they were doing. So he asked them, where is your faith? You are coming to me. He that comes to God must believe that he is and a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So if you're going to come to me, there must be faith. Faith. Faith is something that goes before what you are asking. And it's a tangible thing. It's an active thing. It's something that is practical. It makes noise. Everyone sees it. That is why someone who is believing, I've been prayed for. I'm healed. I'm going to begin to now live my life as I'm healed. Hallelujah. I'm trusting God for this. So I'm living like that. Because I believe it. I believe it. That concrete action. That concrete things that you do. To say yes. This. James said. Show me. Your faith. Without works. And I'll show you my faith by my works. Faith that has no works. Is what? Dead. So all the scriptures come together on this. The faith really is substance of things hoped for. The evidence or the assurance of things you have not seen yet. The evidence you show, the evidence you give of things you've not seen yet. That is faith. 
Sorry, let's rise up on our, on our feet. Let's rise up on our feet. I'm sorry about the time I've taken today. Sorry about the time. You're probably watching me today. You said, yes, I want to live as a champion. I want to overcome the challenges. There are so many challenges in my, in my life. I seem to be failing all of them. I don't want to be a non-achiever. I don't want to be a weakling. I want to be a champion. But you see, to be a champion, what will make you a champion is faith in Christ. Because the Bible says something. This is a victory that overcomes the world, even our faith, our faith in Christ Jesus. You need faith in Jesus. You want to talk to him and say, Lord Jesus, today I surrender my life to you. Come and live in me. Come and live in me. Give me your life. I want to serve you all the days of my life. Talk to him and he'll hear you and save you and make you a believer. Make you born again and you'll be a Christian and you serve him all the days of your life. Write to us or email us or send some message so, so we can contact you and help you grow in this faith. But you are here with me today. You already know him. But a storm that have come in your, in your life Oftentimes you have thought that the storms were things to destroy you. You have thought that, you see, if you are following Christ well, maybe then there should be no storms in your life. There should be no challenges. But now you have learned, and actually he sends these storms so that you, you, you grow as a, as a champion by putting your faith in him. That's why I had to explain what faith meant. And where the faith should be. You want to talk to him and say, Lord Jesus, I, I thank you for your, for your truth. I bless you for your truth. I give you the glory and I give you the praise. Father, we thank you. We bless your name and we worship you. That we will go from this place walking in faith. Please have faith in you and living it out. Showing our faith by our works. In the name of Jesus. You are here. Your birthday fell between last Monday and today. I want to pray with you. The word of God, I must say to you, is quick and active. The word of God is living. The word of God is not just a mere written text. The word of God is living. It's a living thing. When the word of God proceeds, when it comes out from the mouth of God, as Matthew puts it, when it comes up from the mouth of God, it is a living and active word, powerful, able to effect change and change things. It is not a dead letter. God's word is living. I am talking about the word that proceeds from the mouth of the living God. It is active, it is powerful. May your love abound upon her. In this added year that the Lord has blessed you with.